0: Welcome to the Underhand Free Throw. It's a basketball podcast with Ian and Simon. I'm Ian. And I'm Simon. And we are continuing with our never-ending series on season previews for the coming season you know since there are unlimited teams in the NBA we will be doing this for the rest of our lives or at least that's what it feels like right now but in case there's only 30 teams in the NBA we're getting into I guess we haven't really ranked them because we're keeping this purgatory division sort of off to the side right now but all of these teams that we're going to be talking about today are sort of you know play into low playoff seeds at least in terms of how we have them compared relative to our predictions and just a reminder that we're, we're we're basing our predictions off vegas odds and then we each made our own predictions and sort of aggregated the three scores so if we're hating or loving too hard on a team it might be just one of our faults not the collective opinion and it might be vegas it might fault, be vegas so. i love
1: just pushing the blame off on a and another and ent- another entity <laughs> <A> faceless entity <laughs> yeah. that's not there to defend itself
0: yeah we're really hurting vegas's feelings they they really care about what we what we say on this podcast but i odds. mean we're we also-
1: we're mostly close to what vegas said there's a couple teams we really disagree with them on we'll get to one that at least ian really disagrees with vegas on in this episode and then there's one team where we we both are let's just say of a very different opinion than the vegas odds are on on one of these teams but we'll get
0: there vegas odds always come across as like extremely conservative which which makes sense like there's not really like any like hot takes but also when teams have been transformed dramatically, or sometimes when there's just like data on a team after a trade from the past season that would indicate that they're going to continue with how they finished the season, I'm surprised that the like Vegas doesn't really seem to update that much, unless it involves like the Knicks and the Lakers, like... They like. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it's always better for them to like boost their odds a little bit just for pure betting reasons because it, those are very different betting markets than everywhere else. So, anyways, yeah, we will will if we have weird rankings, we will defend them, but we will not be defending Vegas. They they have to be held accountable for whatever <laughs> bad takes they have. Well, Vegas. if they have
1: bad takes, then people make money. So, I mean, yeah, in a, in a that's way, true. there is an accountability system built in.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, we're about like, we're kind of about, we're about at the midway point right now. You know, we have yep. sort of, we got, we got, we, we're done talking about teams that are lottery locks or sort of like going to be fighting for the play-in. These teams are going to be playing, fighting for the playoffs. And there will be at least one team here that I think some people will be upset about. But this next team I feel is not too controversial to start off with. And that's, if you want to just get right into it, this is the Atlanta Hawks.
1: Yeah, Atlanta. I mean, both me and Ian had them around 500. It's where they finished last season. They went on this insane streak last season where I think they didn't ever like win three games in a row or lose three games in a row for like a couple-month-long stretch. It was just like win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. You know, just the perfect 500 basketball mediocre team. You know, they really didn't shake up their roster a lot from last season. A few minor changes, and I'll go into those right now. They they drafted Kobe Buffkin, number 15 overall out of Michigan. I know Ian was high on him. I honestly didn't know a lot about him just because he was kind of like a late riser going into the into the draft class. And I did most of my draft prep like a month before the draft. So unfortunately, a couple of the guys who were like really late risers into the first round, I didn't. Watch as much footage on or anything. They drafted Muhammad Gay out of Washington State, my guy there in the second round, and then Seth Lundy, who was kind of an NCAA tournament standout. He played really well for Penn State. And then just like a couple of really minor moves, you know, Wesley, Miller, Wesley Matthews, Patty Mills for bench depth. They extended DeJounte Murray, so he'll be with the team long term. And what I thought was like a really good deal. I believe it was a yeah four year only about 120 million or 114 million dollar deal, you know so under 30 million a season for a guy who's you know a very quality starter. I thought that was a bargain. And then of course they did trade away John Collins for, you know, not a great return, chump change. But John Collins did really struggle last year, and he he did have a couple of guys behind him that have shown promise. We got Sadiq Bay, and then Jalen Johnson at that those forward spots who can fill in, you know, now that the John Collins role has been cleared out.
0: Yeah. There's a, I mean, this is, this is a funny team because two years ago they did really well in the playoffs. They, they, they Mm -hmm. beat the Knicks and then they very surprisingly beat the Sixers with that infamous, you know, like Ben Simmons passing up a, passing up a dunk to, to dish off controversy that sort of like really kickstarted a bit of a like, dark era in 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 Philadelphia 76ers. So Trey Young had had this kind of rising status as kind of a Reggie Miller type bad guy for for a lot of like legacy franchises like Knicks being the Knicks and Sixers. Those are two fan bases that if you can become the enemy of I feel like that's a like they're going to really boost your reputation with how much they're going to hate you. And I feel like those both those franchises or those fan bases love to hate. So for Trey Young that was just like a, a great moment and then they just kind of came back and they totally underwhelmed. And, and they haven't really managed to capture that magic since. And I'd say Trey Young's like standing around the league has really diminished since then. They traded for Deontay Murray before last season. And that was like, a, you know, they gave away a lot for him, which is, you know, great that they signed him to the contract that they did. I would say that one of the things about them, though, is that this Trey Young, Deontay Murray backcourt has not like been the immaculate fit, I feel, that a lot of people were hoping. That it might be already like they're already like Trey's played better without Murray on the floor and they were kind of just neutral ish, like a little, just a a little, a slight negative with both guards on the floor. And conversely Murray's
1: really more effective on offense when he has the ball in his hands too. He's not, I mean, he's, he's gotten okay as a spot up shooter, like he's passable, but you know, he he's at his best making things happen with the ball in his hands. You know, he's an attacker shot creator for himself.
0: And, you know, when we saw him at his peak in San Antonio or like the best season he's had so far to date in the NBA, when he made the all-star team, Deontay Murray was just allowed to run never-ending pick and rolls yeah, with Jakob Pertl to his heart's content and and really go off. Now, he was still like, he was still very high usage in Atlanta. Like, you know, he took 17, he took 18 shots per game to Trey Young's. 19. So it's not like there's this like big gap there. They're definitely like a point was made by both Nate McMillan and Quinn Snyder to make sure Deontay Murray had the ball. But yeah, there was a whole lot of, it was a bit of a year turn, my turn offense with neither of them mm. offering a, a ton of, 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 you know, a ton of impact or just really activity when they weren't holding the ball in their hands. And then on the defensive side of things, it's like, I don't really see that Deontay Murray moved the needle in any like huge, meaningful way. Like he's, you know, he's a good defensive guard, but he wasn't out there. Like if people felt that he was going to be this puzzle piece that helped them become close to a league average defense, it did not work out. They were the 22nd ranked defense in the whole league.
1: What well, the I other mean, thing he's, about, yeah. he's really a good, like playing passing lanes, you know, stealing sloppy dribble <laughs> guys with sloppy handles, stealing the ball from them. Like he's more of a chaos creator than he is like, a, I'm going to go guard your best wing and lock him down because. Yeah, he's a, a disruptor you know he's he's big for a guard you know he, he's long yeah he has good length he can contest shots but he is pretty slight you know there's not a lot of physical strength there
0: yeah and and, and paired with Trey Young who is you know his defense often gets described as a piece of tissue paper Yeah, This backcourt was not like forming some sort of Chicago Bulls level point of attack system there. And then behind them, there's like there's some defensive pieces on this roster because I so like to be clear, I always felt the path forward for Atlanta was continuing to be an elite offense, which they still mostly have tried to do, especially after getting Quinn Snyder in there. And, you know, they did finish the the season as a top seven. They're the seventh ranked offense, which is very good. Like, but. The defense is 22nd, and behind that that slight backcourt, DeAndre Hunter has been a adequate defender, like a good defender, but not a great one that he was drafted to be. You know, he's kind of drafted to be the next coming of Kawhi Leonard. And that he's been fine. I I, I like DeAndre Hunter's game, but there's, uh, it's not exactly like jumping off the page or being a huge impact guy. Clint Capella is starting to slow down a little bit as a rim protector, but behind him, they have Onyeka Okongwu, who's a monster defensive presence in his own right. But Clint Capella is kind of needed on there because Okongwu is not a lob threat for Trey Young. And you kind of have to have that lob threat for the offensive system to work and for what and for whatever reason john collins was just forbidden from ever like playing that rim running role no no matter what and that didn't really change as soon as quinn snyder got there so that was a strange kind of phenomenon in general we'll see if john collins like pops off again in utah but there's a lot of him like standing on the corner something you said about these other like the guys that are going to play more because john collins isn't there there is a I don't want to quite call it addition by subtraction because I don't feel these players are necessarily better than John Collins, but with what they were having John Collins do, the role he was playing in their offense, there's a bunch of players that can probably do that better because like, I mean, I think, that,
1: yeah, they're going to be better than John Collins if John Collins is asked to spot up and he's shooting below 30% from three, <laughs> you know, if that's yeah. his primary role in offense, like that's not, that's not a valuable piece. And like, yes, we all agree that that's not the right way to use John Collins necessarily. But of course, you know, if you're designing your offense around Trey Young and Deontay Murray, John Collins is, you know, your third or fourth consideration. It's not figuring out how to get John Collins involved. That's at the top of your priority list.
0: Yeah. It's just you know, like you op- like you applaud coaches and you applaud like teams to figure out how to maximize whatever pieces they do have. And John Collins, just for whatever reason or for a combination of reasons, became an impossible piece there, and then still played there for year after year, like.
1: You it know. was really,
0: I mean, just like, you know, when you, when you look at his, if you just want to like tell the story with the stats, like John Collins in 2020 average was it was averaging 20 and 10 with 1.6 blocks shooting 40% from three, like just looking like an all-star power forward. Just like, those are, those are huge numbers the next year, 17 and seven with, with one block and, and then down to 16 and seven and then finally to 13 and six and every year just sort of like the role just shrunk a little bit more. It's like every year they're just like, let's see if we can use John Collins a little bit less that will be our strategy this year yeah and, and it's not right. like it correlated like
1: the the two guys that can potentially fill in for him like they're not better than like John Collins at his best when he was shooting well from three as well as attacking the basket and playing really solid you know defense as well because with Sadiq Bey he's going to be a better spot-up shooter than John Collins was last year but he's not the same defender and definitely not the same athlete you know, and then Jalen Johnson. You know he, that is a pretty incredible athletic package that he has available. But at least so far in his career, he's he hasn't been a good shooter, so it's going to be difficult to grease the wheels offensively with him on the floor.
0: I think there's three players in competition for John Collins' departed minutes, and that yeah, the other third guy is AJ Griffin. You think he's going to be playing the four? I think that they're going to. I mean, play... yeah, with a,
1: in a four guard lineup or you know a three guard lineup with one forward, sure.
0: I mean, I also just think that sometimes DeAndre Hunter is going to be called the four. I think there's going to be a lot of like one big two guard, two wing lineups.
1: Yeah. And honestly, the Hawks were, you know, I know Bogdanovich missed a lot of last season with injury, but he was was incredible in the playoffs and kind of later in the season as well. So finding ways to get him on the floor more often, which is hard if Murray and Trey Young are all playing in the high 30s minutes wise, unless you play all three of them on the floor at the same time. So those three guys, plus Hunter, plus a big, you know, I'm sure that Quinn Snyder will try that.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's, but he doesn't have like, I mean, looking at Quinn Snyder in Utah, he loved to sort of like Rudy Gobert, you play all the defense and we're going to get as much of like shooting and offense and ball movement at the other four spots. But I, I, you're not going to lean on, on Clint Capella quite in that same way. And they played basically no dual big lineups, like, they never played Capella and Akangwu together like those two. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure played zero minutes on the season. So they're not going to boost their defense that way. But they've got an interest. It's like the forwards. but like It's very divided between like the guards, the forwards, and the bigs on this team with very little positional versatility. I do think you can play that three-guard lineup. Some with, with Bogdan Bogdanovich, Murray, and Trey. They also got the aforementioned Kobe Bufkin. We'll see if he plays mm-hmm. Minutes this year, I could it could kind of go other way, but he goes into this season as like at best the fourth guard.
1: Yeah, I'm sure he'll play some. I mean, is he going to have a role come playoff time? Probably yeah. not if everyone's healthy. But you know, Sometimes I do. rookies surprise you.
0: Yeah, and I do in theory like him as like a fill in the gaps type of versatility guard that can play with a combination of these guys. But also another like what you were saying about Murray, like another really skinny. Mm -hmm. Like, like, you know, he's got he's got he's got a good like he's got decent height and wingspan, but he's still like a very slight guard and got to watch him play a bit in summer league. He had kind of mixed results. But one thing that did strike me, just like he's he's going to be very skinny in the NBA in a way that didn't seem to be as much of a problem in college.
1: I think the one thing that we can kind of take heart in a little bit is going into the playoffs last year. You know, Boston was favored to win the series against Atlanta fairly handily in five games there's a lot of talk about, you know, Boston's wing depth being very problematic for Trey Young and for Murray, the small backcourt, just being able unable to overcome that. And, you know, to some extent that that's appeared to be true in like the first two games of that first round series. Atlanta did struggle coming out of the gate. Trey Young especially had a terrible game in the first game. But, you know, overall, like Trey Young's efficiency wasn't incredible in that series. He shot, you know, right around 51% effective field goal, but he did put up stats and the rest of the team played pretty well as a result of like how much attention the Celtics paid kind of to the two lead guards. So, I mean, that I think gave me some hope for this offense under Quinn Snyder, especially if it's going to be just like focused around Trey young the whole time, that like the more attention teams, this isn't a team that we're going to see a result like a couple years ago where Miami just squeezed the life out of them by just double teaming Trey all the time. Quinn Snyder's figured out a way to get other people involved and take some of the pressure off of him. And, you know, in the end, like that was a competitive series, you know, it, it went six games instead of five. And in game six, there was, you know, up until the last couple of minutes, there was like really question over who was going to win that one. So
0: I, I agree completely. I think Atlanta acquitted themselves very, like held themselves, held their own really well in the playoffs. And I thought it was just coaching
1: for the most part, you know, just, yeah. just being able to get the ball out of Trey's hands and help him out a little bit. Whereas the previous year against Miami, they really weren't able to do that.
0: Yeah, and they got they got versatile offensive contributions too. Like it was all like you said, built around the sort of attention that that Trey Young was able to get. But like DeAndre Hunter played re- like very well. And everyone was able to sort of like score, and and play their role. They had a bit of a hard time scoring in the paint against Boston, but like they, they I mean, they, they put up 115 offensive rating against like one of the best defenses in the league. So that's
1: well, big... <laughs> Boston last year wasn't one of the best defenses in the league in the playoffs I mean, at least.
0: Yeah, but they were they all season they held teams to one eleven. So mm-hmm. scoring one fifteen of them is a, it just means that your offense did yeah. well against okay. a defense that was expected to. They did and better than and, expected. Yeah, yeah, and I think people had written off like people have been writing off Atlanta for a couple of years. This is not a team that has found the equation yet, though. Like, no. if there's an equation to winning around Trey Young, they still haven't quite figured it out. And I don't know if the roster is currently in place for them to do that, but I would, I'd go back to looking at that forward rotation and be like, if something pops from here, if we can get a big step forward from a Jalen Johnson or an AJ Griffin or a Sadi- a Sadiq Bay, if one of those becomes a starting level NBA forward and DeAndre Hunter makes like just incremental progress or just even, you know, you know, if at all that could that's, to me, the most likely step the Hawks can take this season to to being a better team.
1: Yeah, I think you hit on it when you kind of question their lack of positional versatility, because I think one of the the most confounding problems with the Hawks the past couple of years is they have a really hard time, you know, plugging the gap if something goes wrong without opening a new hole somewhere else. You know, they can improve their defense, but if they do that, you know, the offense drops off or the playmaking drops off or, you know, it just becomes stagnant. But if they have all of their best offensive pieces out there, they're giving up a lot on the other end and they really struggle to balance that.
0: There's just not a lot of force on this roster is what one of the things that I don't like about it. Like they're, they're not a super good rebounding team. They're not a team that like draws a lot of fouls, even, even kind of Trey young fell off a little bit as a foul drawer last year. They don't, they just don't have like a lot of people that are collapsing the defense and putting a whole lot of pressure on it. Everything is like kind of solid rather than sort of like something that really threatens the defense. Obviously, Trey, like a lot of when it wasn't Trey Young, when Trey Young wasn't playing well and he played awful to start the season, a lot of yep. possessions will be like, well, let's see if. Deontay Murray can like get off a decent mid range look against the shot clock at the last second. And he's kind of good at that, but that's like not what you want your offense to like devolve into constantly sort of thing. So Quinn Snyder's an amazing coach. He's an amazing offensive manager. I think we will get to see the Hawks performing to their best. Like we saw them finish the season on offense. Never really been my question with the Hawks though. Like I think the Hawks, the, the firepower is there in terms of just like, you know, shooting and ball handling. It's just like, can they be a good enough defense or can they win the possession battle or can they do something else to complement the offensive firepower that they have to become a, like a team that tries, you know, like wins a round or two in the playoffs. And I don't think they're quite there
1: at that level yet. Yeah. I mean, we both have them around a 500 team. I think the main thing that would change that to me, Jalen Johnson is the guy that has the highest upside on this team because his ball handling ability and defensive versatility at that size is pretty special. There's just, I mean, inexperience is a big inhibitor for him and yeah, just the lack of the jump shot I think are the main things, but you know, I mean, this is a guy who has a similar physical profile to John Collins, but is able to drive and kick and find open teammates as well on top of that. So, I mean, that's a pretty enticing player profile.
0: I'm just wondering if you, if like, uh If it's going to happen on the Hawks, just because like, unless he takes some strides with his jumper, they're going to have this kind of awkward thing of like, what role, what role is Jalen Johnson playing with the starting group or whether they find a, whether they have him off the bench. Cause just like, but you know, paired in the front court with like with a Capella or an Okongwu, what's Jalen Johnson doing
1: in the half court? I mean, his ability to move the ball and not be a ball stopper, I think makes his lack of a jump shot a little bit less worrying than it was in the case of Collins, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, you're right. You you do need the floor space around Trey Young for this offense to be effective.
0: And they've got really good shooters that aren't like you know like AJ Griffin is like an amazing shooter, and yeah, had some stretches this past season where it was like, you know, I mean, Hawks fans got really excited, but but they didn't quite realize that he's still a, a to, like a less than a zero on defense still. This group of forwards, like Sadiq Bay and DeAndre Hunter, are two big time draft crushes of mine. And AJ Griffin and Jalen Johnson are are two guys that I, you know, hated on extra. Was like, you know, had them way way below where other people had them in the draft. So I'm like, and I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't need to be right about the draft. I'm not hoping someone's career goes like worse because I picked them low in the draft or whatever. I also think both those players are really interesting. Griffin Mm -hmm. and Jalen Johnson. And if their games do hit, they kind of like, you know, it's a kind of prospect situation where if they figure out their weaknesses or their, or their hits, their strengths hit that like flips into a much more exciting player than Bayer Griffin could be. All right, so that wraps up the Hawks and now we're going to get to the controversial section of our program today, which is that both Simon and I and not Vegas so we really have to own this because we can't yeah. blame Vegas for this one are we're we're low on the Los Angeles Lakers. I know that Lakers fans are ecstatic after a, a, a huge turnaround after the trade deadline last year, my trip to the Eastern Conference finals Western. Western Conference Finals, my bad, a resounding, it, a resounding defeat of the Golden State Warriors. Things are, and then, you know, they, they've followed up that success by having a really solid offseason. And the Lakers are operating like a, like a, a normal, healthy franchise that, you know, like improves their depth and, you know, make smart signings to help the players they have on board rather than just like going to grab whatever the biggest name star they possibly can, so big applause for that. But uh, but yeah, both of us are low on them. We'll we'll get into why. But let's uh, maybe just quickly recap a busy off season for the
1: Lakers. Yeah, I mean a lot of off, a lot of off season moves this off season that you know, like the Lakers are one of the teams that were getting a lot of praise coming out of free agency. I think a lot of people liked the moves that they made. Perhaps me and Ian like them a little bit less. (laughs) People
0: just like activity, right? Like when your team's doing something, you're so happy.
1: And when yeah, your team's not doing especially, something, when
0: other teams are, you're like, you're mad at the GM. And yeah, stuff.
1: especially a team like the Lakers. They didn't have a lot of, you know, cap space to work with after they re signed their guys necessarily. So they pick up guys who appear to be like, you know, decent role players for not a lot of money. You know, I can understand where the praise is coming from. But yeah, the they drafted. The further we get
0: away from it, though, the further we get away from it, the more I'm just looking at this list of players and being like, who cares? Like, what Like what was the excitement here? Like Well, let's get a, into them. <laughs> let's, right, right,
1: and then we can right. talk about it. Okay. So they, <laughs> they drafted jalen hood Shafino after out of indiana that was their first rounder and they drafted max lewis in the second round after out of pepperdine and then yeah they signed is it three players or four players anyway they signed oh yeah jackson hayes tarian prince cam reddish oh, and gabe vincent and then they re-signed d'angelo russell rui hachimura and austin reeves all to you know, probably about fair market value. You know, Austin I'd say is, Austin, they got a great deal on Austin Reeves. Yeah, arguably a pretty good deal on Austin Reeves. I mean, he always, all these young guys who look promising in the playoffs have that like potential bump, right? Because people want to pay them based on what they could be rather than necessarily the player that they have been performing as the past couple of years. So, yeah. I, I disagree Austin with Reeves Austin Reeves, continue Reeves on that to get one. Better,
0: okay. I think Austin Reeves has always been good. His His minutes have increased, his roles increased, and he's like, I think. I remember just seeing him in his like in preseason as a rookie. And I'm like, Oh, that kid can play. And he's done nothing but play since then.
1: He's he's been really good on the national team. Yeah. I also just felt like
0: the past couple of years when the Lakers were, you know, in the Russell Westbrook era of the Lakers, when, when things were not so happy, I was quietly like, I think Austin Reeves is like their third best player. I know the, the the numbers wouldn't back that up in terms of like he wasn't getting to the big role, but I'm not surprised yeah. to see Austin Reed do that. And then for him to go put up like Manu Ginobili numbers in the playoffs was just sort of like, he shot 44% from three. He put up four assists and or four, like 4.6 assists, 4.4 4 rebounds, 17 points. Like that is a, you know, that, and and on top of that, he gets to the free throw line. Like he's just mm. a very, very complete shooting guard. You know, doesn't exactly have top tier athleticism, but just as like as solid... A shooting guard as there is in this
1: league yeah i mean i i think maybe i would have had more questions if he did get like the four-year 100 million dollar deal but i yeah, mean that's yeah. still you know i I think he was a undrafted player or was he a second round player anyway he he was on the type of contract where he wasn't eligible for like a massive amount of money on this extension it it had to be below 100 million dollars in four years or less so I mean, yeah, he, he wasn't going to get overpaid necessarily. Right. Cause that, that option wasn't even available to him. But
0: just, just the fact that the Lakers didn't, did not have to match an offer sheet, a bigger offer sheet from another team. And they didn't pay the yeah. maximum they could have paid him just seems like, well, that's an automatic win because yeah, he was in line for a massive, like overpay. I mean, you know, overpay subjective, but like he was in line, he was very highly valued in the league, or at least we all thought he was going to be very highly valued in the league. And the, and the, Lakers were going to be forced to pay just whatever the maximum amount of his value is.
1: Yeah. And so, you do it if you Lakers, cause you know, they have LeBron and Anthony Davis making max money. Anthony Davis also signed a three-year extension this off season. Maximum, yeah. maximum extension. So he'll be around for another few seasons, regardless of what happens to LeBron. So. Man,
0: making like 65 million a year on, or at least in the back end of that contract. That's, that's yeah. wild.
1: Makes Dame yeah. at 63 million a year look like a bargain. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I go that far, but.
0: <laughs> yeah, so um, let's,
1: it. let's, I mean, let's talk about kind of where we're at with the Lakers. So yeah, they do. They do get into the playoffs through the play-in. They make the seventh seed. They beat the Grizzlies in the first round. And what wasn't really that competitive of a series. I mean, the Grizzlies were missing their startup, starting in their backup center. So the Grizzlies were just really small. They're playing a six foot seven dude at the five. And against the Lakers, that's not going to work out, you know, as we as we saw the Lakers kind of just overpowered them with size and rim pressure. And yeah. And then like against the Warriors, that was also like a lot less competitive than I saw than, you know, I thought it was going to be going in. But also at the same time, like Clay Thompson had like a historically awful series. No one in the Warriors really played all that well other than Curry.
0: I, I do think that it's, I mean, even just, like, watching the games, not just, like, looking at the numbers, Clay missed wide-open shots, and they gave Clay Thompson wide-open shots, and they got away with it. Yeah. You have to, like, you have to account the fact, like, usually giving Clay Thompson wide-open shots, even though this is, like, not the prime Clay Thompson or whatever, like, him missing that many open threes is a significant swing in the victory they might have just you know beat them anyways and some of those gone down but like it would have well maybe I, I but the other
1: those. thing was the other thing that not a lot of people mentioned at the time like so few people were talking about it i was like watching the games and then afterwards i was like forgetting that this very huge thing was taking place which was like kevon looney missed the first three games of the series yeah. with like a horrible flu and then he came back and he just wasn't very good you know
0: He didn't miss any games, but he wasn't able to play minutes. He wasn't able to play big minutes. He went, oh yeah, he was playing like
1: a couple minutes a game. And yeah, the Warriors that were already this tiny team, even with Kevon Looney on the floor, just had like no size. And also like Kevon Looney was like the hero of game seven against the Kings. And he had, he was grabbing every single rebound and he just like had, you know, a really incredible series. And then was, you know, pretty much a no, like a non-factor against Lakers.
0: I mean, the Warriors were essentially able to like, you know, fight back against Anthony Davis with Kevon Looney on the floor. And then yeah. whenever, it, whenever Kevon Looney wasn't on the floor, Anthony, you don't like it's, it feels really bad for as an opponent when Anthony Davis is just giant, you know, cause it's like, he's not the biggest guy in the league, but if you're in a matchup where he gets to be the biggest guy in the series or just on the floor, like he, he changes to a different kind of player where he's so physically overwhelming like all yeah. like all over the place kind of thing. And then we saw that dramatically switch for them in the next series when they when they played Nikola Jokic and Anthony Davis just does not look big enough and they need two or three of him. But uh, but yeah, it was it was one of those series where the one one opponent just kind of is, is breaking down the other injury the Warriors had and that was like Andrew Wiggins played the last game of that series basically with like a broken rib. And like LeBron James knew that and was like, Lakers fans were just like, LeBron's back. Like, this is what, like, he was saving this. He was saving this for when he needed it. I'm just like, he got to play against a defender with a broken rib all of a sudden. And he was just like, like all of a sudden, they, there was no way to keep LeBron out of the paint. I'm glad yeah. LeBron can do that, but don't think like that he had the option of doing it earlier in the series and decided to save it for a special occasion.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, it was a different story against Aaron Gordon the next round, for sure. But yeah. So, I mean, both of us don't have the Lakers making the playoffs, or at least, I mean, I basically have them in, like, the 10 seed, you know, essentially play-in, you could call it, along with the Pelicans. I'm not, like, completely out on this team making the play-in, but I would be surprised to see them make, like, a high playoff seed and have guaranteed home court. I will go that far. I wouldn't go as far as
0: saying I, I I wouldn't be surprised. I just but I wouldn't be surprised by anything in the West this year. I just think there are maybe 12 teams that are could Well, I just think in
1: order for to that run. to happen, LeBron and AD have to have very healthy regular seasons and play yeah. most of the games and we haven't seen them do that in a long
0: time. It's it's not impossible that the Lakers have good health luck this year, but it's not something that should be in, expected either there yeah. people will be like lebron was uh, lebron's foot was hurt the last season totally valid thing to point out expecting lebron to bounce back from that energy from that injury and just be healthier this year you just you never expect a guy in his age 39 season to bounce back like you could get lucky lebron could play better this year than he played last year but that would be like not a miracle but not the thing you should expect
1: yeah i mean he, he hasn't has a- he hasn't had a healthy season in quite a while so
0: I would say if AD has an MVP level season, the Lakers are a contender. I'd say if AD has another injury prone season, the Lakers aren't a playoff team. And I'm not really banking on, on LeBron. Like I think LeBron needs to like stay healthy. Like, you, you know, he, yeah. like LeBron's role needs to, to shrink. Cause he's also like, does not have the same ability to carry an offense. Even when LeBron was healthy this past season, you could like you can you can ignore a whole bunch of stuff and pretend lebron was peak lebron sometimes or that he even has the same game lebron was forced to settle for a lot of tough mid-range shots both in the regular season and the playoffs and he was yeah. totally capable of kind of grinding out kind of wins and grinding out tough offensive possessions but he is no longer this like po- a point of the spear that punctures the defense and then opens up offense at of the team level. Like he's kind of scoring in the margins now rather than scoring in a way that drives good team offense. LeBron can still get his numbers and score and contribute. But we saw so many times, especially after the trade deadline when, when they had a real team and were capable of getting contributions from multiple places the ideal situation for LeBron right now is to blend in and add playmaking and add scoring and like use his craftiness to find little edges and compete and be competitive. He can't really be the driving force of your offense anymore. If you're going to have a good championship level offense.
1: Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not sure like with some of the moves they made this offseason, they gave him a whole lot of help. I mean, I have seen some people make the point that We need LeBron the ball in LeBron's hands less, like in the fourth quarter of these games, and in Austin Reeves' hands more. So, I mean, I think Mm -hmm. the two of them kind of splitting some of that primary playmaker duty will help.
0: Yeah, I think Rui is a good like Rui kind of scores in the same way that LeBron does, but if they if they can find him being with them for the whole season and that identity as just kind of like a pure scoring finisher type, I think could work out for them. I think D'Lo can also play better. He's been wildly up and down all his career, and his, he's not a player that you feel you can depend on. But would it be crazy if if Delo had a good season? Like, no. D'Lo shot – like, in Minnesota yeah, last I mean, year, D'Lo shot, like, amazing for, like, three months and then, you know, flamed out in the playoffs. And I think d- with him, it's more the – he's not always a reliable shooter. He's hot and cold. And then on defense, yeah. he just dies on every single screen. So it's harder to play Well, him D'Lo's role teams. on the Lakers
1: was weird because, like, on the Timberwolves, he was kind of, like, pick and roll – operator, I mean, more looking for his own shot than others, but like had a very consistent pull-up mid-range game. And then on the Lakers, at least in the playoffs, on a lot of occasions, he was like three-point heat check guy, which is not at all his game, you know? And he did have like one game against the Warriors where he kind of won the game for the Lakers down the stretch by getting hot. But I mean, that's not really the role that you want DeAngelo Russell (laughs) playing. Tongue twister, there. That's not really the role that you want him in your offense.
0: I don't really know what role you want D'Lo for anymore. Like we we've seen, like we've seen. maybe you, the maybe full you don't range. want D'Lo. <laughs> well, it just he's it's, it's, he just he's just so unreliable in kind of like we we've seen him play so many different roles on so many different teams and and look re- really good at it for stretches, and then just have he's just done so many strange disappearing acts, you know. In the playoffs, and just for end for stretches of the season, he started last season in Minnesota, just like really bad. And the season before that, he did the same thing. Just kind of like, what what is going on? There's just, and he's got weird, funny holes in his game. I was so shook to discover that he doesn't know how to throw lob passes. Mm-hmm. Like I, I spent the offseason being like, oh, pitching, you know, D'Lo to Gobert being kind of like a a glue piece to the offense in Minnesota. And then just like learning in the preseason DLO doesn't really throw a lot of passes and he's complaining that he's not very comfortable doing it. It's just like, but he's the, Why not? Like, wait, what? <laughs> he's the <a> point <laughs> and guard. Th- and then I went back and I cuz I swore I remembered like you know him and Jared Allen running pick and roll perfection. I went back and looked at some looked at some tape and and then and checked the numbers and was just like, "Oh, he didn't really throw lob passes to Jared Allen either. This guy doesn't really throw lob pass. That's weird." Okay. And that obviously so I don't know. He just he's just really strange. He's a total wild card. He, there's going to be moments where he lifts the Lakers this season to to winning streaks and there's going to be moments where the Lakers nation is is calling for his head, and just hopefully yep. for the Lakers he pops the right time. But getting it, let's get into some of these offseason additions and why we're not. As yeah, excited I
1: about mean them. they basically replaced you know in their lineup they had Dennis Schroeder last year, they had Lonnie Walker, they had Troy Brown and Wenyun Gabriel playing spot minutes, not a whole lot, and then they basically didn't really have a black backup center for the playoffs, and they replaced that with Gabe Vincent, Cam Reddish, Tari and Prince. And a backup center, Jackson Hayes.
0: Yeah. So Gabe Vincent, I get the hype because of the playoff run that Miami just had. And I do think that Gabe Vincent is like a a good, solid, all-around rotation guard in terms of like he can do a little bit of everything. He can kind of play different roles. I just feel like his
1: primary attributes are like toughness and hustle. (laughs)
0: yeah yeah but that's that's good that's a good thing to have i think what some lakers fans don't understand is that like he's not the level of shooter that maybe they saw in the playoffs last year or at least hasn't been in his career and he's not like a a monster defender either but i think he's able to fit into a he's he's a good defender that can fit into a team he's not the point of attack defender that dennis schroeder was for them last year um and he's not the ball handling attacker that dennis schroeder was for them last year I, I would say he's a little bit of a better outside, a little bit more of a consistent outside shooter than Dennis Schroeder. They're similar by the numbers, but I trust Gabe Vincent's shooting just a little bit more there.
1: I'm not super and, excited about Gabe Vincent. I mean, to me, the main signing that they made this offseason that I think is going to have like some impact on their playoff chances is probably Tarion Prince. Just having a yeah. reliable spot-up shooter and guy who can defend multiple positions at a reasonable yeah. level is going to be- Those big. picks are- I mean, Every team needs that, so
0: yeah. Anytime a, a team with with aspirations of being a contender adds another versatile wing that can shoot and defend multiple positions, that is that is a, that's a big deal. That's like that. Yeah. And Torian Prince, you know, go, got to see him play a ton in Minnesota. You know, he's not he's not a player that lights the world on fire. But what I always really liked about him is just how well he like unlocks lineups. Like it was just always easy mm. to play different players around him like he just was never in the way of anyone like you can play yeah. torian prince with anyone and he's going to be able to kind of fill a role he's got he's got a lot of hustle he's got some injury problems he's a he can be unreliable in that way and he's not like an amazing amazing shooter but like good enough shooter good enough defender you can throw him into a front court with any two other guys and he's going to find a way to make an impact so that's really good they also had a cam reddish who's like you you got to see him play a little bit at the end of Portland mm-hmm. there and some some people are are Cam Reddish diehards. So any thoughts there?
1: He's a great tank commander if you're not trying to win games.
0: <laughs> he's also a good point of attack defender. Like he's yeah. disruptive with his long arms and matchups. No, he's
1: really quick. He's super long, and he is actually a pretty great spot up shooter when that's his role in the offense. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, initially when we went over kind of some of the offseason moves some of these teams were making, I was like, I really like Cam Reddish as your eighth man. And like, I don't know, it, it'll it take the season to kind of bear out to see if that holds true or not. But I think if he can find a consistent role where he's not, because like the biggest thing about Cam Reddish is he just, he wants to make things happen with the ball in his hands if it swings to him. And yeah. often that thing that he wants to make happen is not like making the right extra pass. So
0: yeah, yeah. Loves to like pump and drive right into his defender's chest, go into a Euro step then that euro step turns into like a bit of like a step back he fade away where he doesn't lose yeah. his defender even for a minute and then the, now we're taking that shot Cameron is also super young still even though he feels like he's been in the league for many years now so we'll see if like you know progress is never surprising for young guys i think it's a, i think it's like a, a perfectly good pick up at least there's a chance that sort of pops they also really like what max christie looked like in summer league a lot i don't really know max christie that well i remember being surprised to hear his name called in the draft but well a lot of lakers media has been really high on him and he did look good in summer league so
1: yeah i mean he was a guy who had some hype coming out of high school but i think that you know I think that his college career, his lone college season wasn't super impressive. I mean, yeah. Michigan State's just been kind of odd the last few years where, yeah. I mean, they still have, like, it's very much a Tom Izzo system. It's still a very, like, defensive-driven team, but, like, their half-court offense is kind of clunky and and relies a lot on, I don't know. I mean, I'm not I'm not a Michigan State expert, but the offense just, like, leaves a lot to be desired. It's definitely not an NBA-style offense, so... Right. Yes. I mean, you didn't necessarily see NBA prospect Max Christie exploding in college, but, you know, it's a guy with some talent. Yeah. People
0: made a deal about Jackson Hayes as well, despite the fact that he hasn't really found a role in the NBA yet.
1: Yeah, he, he has fine. shown just, just another energy hustle big, you know.
0: He's, yeah, super, super tall and super mobile for his yeah. for his height in some ways, especially, like, sometimes when he slips to the, when he slips a screen and dives to the rim, it feels like he teleports. He's shown some flashes of shooting ability, but in no way consistently. He's shown some impressive stretches as a rim protector. They there's there, Two seasons ago, they were, like, playing, that he, he was part of that kind of, like, inspiring... Pelicans run to the playoffs where they would often play him next to Jonas Valanciunas and, you know, go dual big. And he was able to do some interesting things in that context, but like for the Lakers made a big deal, like they wanted to get bigger this offseason, especially after they're too small to guard Jokic and they, they haven't really done that. Like if Jackson Hayes is the totality of them doing that, I, th- I still think it's going to like, you know, they have enough size in terms of like, you know, Jared Vanderbilt, LeBron and Rui next to AD but if the only player bigger than AD is Jackson Hayes that doesn't really seem to add up anything I guess they also yeah. they're kind of excited about Colin they got Colin Castleton on a, on a two-way and Lakers fans liked what they saw from him in several league. he's like a fun player to watch I'm not really sure whether that translates to him having a role on the team this year though
1: oh man yeah I don't know about Colin Castleton he was kind of like a post- score in college well he's got
0: a crazy floater hook shot like like one of just like hit like from 12 feet away he gets a yeah. crazy extension on this thing and, and and shoots at like 30 feet in the air and it comes down And he's also he's a good passer He's like he's like a skilled big man with like decent feet, but probably mobility issues in the NBA level. So it's like not clear whether that's an NBA player
1: or not. But yeah, I mean, I think he's just he's another guy who's probably a little bit too lanky to be an impactful defensive player right away. Yeah. But he's young and it's just a two way contract. So,
0: yeah, I think the Reeves and Rui thing are, are like Reeves and Rui being in their roles for the whole season, I think is going to be the most stabilizing thing. The Lakers have, but I I think just to summarize or like, you know, stick to the main point that Simon and I think both feel pretty united on is that like this team goes as far as, as AD and LeBron's health takes them and neither of us are willing to bank on, on their health. So I'm sorry, Lakers fans that we're, we're putting them this low. Obviously they've got immense potential to outplay this ranking and, you know, get home court advantage in the playoffs or, you know, even be a really high seed, but looking at their prospects next to some other teams, I'm just, it's, it's, it's hard for me
1: to feel great about it. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to judge teams based on like injury outcomes, but I mean, with LeBron at his age and his history, these past couple of years, it's starting to feel like a bit of an inevitability. And then, you know, Anthony Davis has never had a fully healthy season and, and missing 35, 40% of the season is pretty typical for him. So this doesn't really feel like betting on, Like a possible outcome. This more just this should be the expected outcome, and then you know they have upside if if guys are more healthy than that.
0: All right, the next team up is the New Orleans Pelicans. We were very very far apart on this team. I have them really 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 high. So Lakers fans are just gonna look at what I just said about their injuries and be like, how you have the Pelicans high? I am hoping for a healthy Pelican season and just. Had them as a team fighting for home court advantage in this playoffs where Simon and Vegas were a little bit more tepid, but still have them that kind of 16 to 17 range overall and sort of NBA, not not 16 or 17. And there's not even that many teams in a conference, but very mo- more middle of the pack based on what they accomplished last year. Last year, they finished with the 21st ranked offense and the and the sixth ranked defense. Very impressive to finish 42 and 40. Yeah, probably the inverse
1: of what a lot of people were expecting, but...
0: Yeah. And started and doesn't it's a it's a weird team to another one of those teams where it's kind of like a a tale of two parts of the season because they they started off just on fire until Zion got hurt. They were like a top yeah. 5 defense, a top 5 team on both sides of the ball, and then Zion went down and they really didn't recover from that. Which is yeah. strange because of how well they played without him the year before. They had this heroic run and and we were wondering if that was going to happen again. And it really didn't. But anyways, let's see what's changed between last season and this season for the New Orleans Pelicans. What kind of off-season moves are we looking at in New Orleans?
1: Honestly, not a ton. I mean, they drafted Jordan Hawkins at the end of the lottery. A lot of people really liked him as, you know, one of the better catch-and-shoot three-point players we've ever seen in college. You know, kind of fitting he comes out of UConn because like previously the archetype for that guy was of course, Ray Allen, also out of UConn many years ago. So yeah, in that mold. And then they signed Cody Zeller just for some big man depth, I suppose. And then the the one other thing they did this offseason that seemed to just explode a lot of people's brains was that Herb Jones opted out of the fifth year, sorry, the fourth year of his rookie deal. And he signed an extension for fifty six million dollars. And then I forget if it was Woj or Shams, but someone said, Oh, if he had extended next year, he would have been eligible for over 70 million dollars. And that that yeah, that seemed to confuse a lot of people, but basically it's a win win situation. Herb Jones gets his money and he gets security a year earlier and the Pelicans get to duck the So you're first saying apron.
0: people you're saying people were upset that he didn't sign for more or he didn't wait to sign for more.
1: Yeah, I think it was confusing why he didn't play out his rookie deal in an extent next year. I mean but, Herb I Jones mean, for is I mean if you're, yeah. If you're playing on a rookie deal and you have the option to up your salary from, I'm not sure what that would be, but he was a second round pick. So it wasn't a lot of money, right? All the way up to like 11, $12 million this year. And you get that long-term security as well. I mean, most players are going to take that. So,
0: I also think that if Herb Jones played another year and didn't figure out more of an offensive role, the money that would have been waiting for him at the end was not going to be that seven seventy million deal. Like, I don't I think this is I agree that this is a win win for both of them where it's like it's possible Herb Jones it's possible that this deal becomes a big deal for the Pelicans but also like this protects Herb Jones up, up from like if he ends up just being a pure defensive specialist like those big contracts are not always there for that type of player so I know that he's yep. like You know he's a younger guy, so you anticipate linear growth. But his offense is still a big question mark. So for him to lock in a a really solid chunk of change for time, I think that makes sense because he can't he can't shoot at all right now. And the after starting the season really good as a cutter, it took one scouting report adjustment to just nullify Herb Jones for the rest of the season. They had this great offensive then going was quite influential in the league where i forget what the name of like they they were just running into their they were they were cutting into their passes basically so every yeah. single player on their team rather than wait for the pass was starting their cut they basically gave themselves a running start on every single action and it made them really dynamic it made them very dynamic and it gave some of their lesser offensive players some real impact and, and value and, and made them really fun to watch and then and then that main source of rim pressure in Zion Williamson, you know, arguably the best source of rim pressure in the whole NBA right now, got injured again, and then we were looking at a completely different team. But I still think New Orleans and New Orleans fans should feel great because Brandon Ingram played 45 games and Zion Williams played 29, and this team still finished above 500. We're looking at a yeah. ridiculously deep team. Here. Just they've got multiple, like multiple really good players at almost every position. Both Uh, of us
1: are really excited about Dyson Daniels. I mean, that's that's uh, one of their bright spots from last year, I thought, was just like how good he was right away.
0: Yeah. And he also had some injury struggles of of his own. So, yeah. No, this um, team was
1: really snake bit last year.
0: Yeah. But also, have we ever, has New Orleans ever not had a snake bitten injury team? Can you think of one season where New Orleans just was like normal? and healthy. I know this is like a young, we have to go back to like
1: 1993 (laughs) (laughs) before they existed. It's it's been Um, a while.
0: Yeah. Like it's been like Chris, Chris Paul era. And even then like Tyson Chandler fell apart with injuries. Like people hate on the AD era or that, like that team was never able to go just like, did you like go look at the games played? year to year by Jeru Holiday and Tyreek Evans and Eric
1: Gordon. Yeah, and- everyone was hurt all the time. Yeah.
0: Ryan Anderson, DeMarcus Cousins like it basically ended his career the moment he got to New Orleans. Like they 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 brought in tons of talent on that team and everything just died. So at some point like this this franchise is just cursed or it's going to flip and they're going to have a good healthy season and and I think a good, healthy season from New Orleans means they're one of the best teams in the NBA, I think. Like, they looked at last year. They not only are we hoping for Zion and Ingram to play together this year and be the two best players in that team, but they've got other potential, like, stars waiting in the, in the wings. Trey Murphy the third, looked yeah, incredible at times last year as a shooter, as, a, as an athlete. And as a perimeter defender, and like you already mentioned, Dyson Daniels has a whole lot of potential. Larry Nance is coming back healthy as well. And he's a guy that really unlocked lineups from the last year when he was healthy. I just look at this roster and if it's healthy, I just think this is a really, really, really good team. But again, this is it's always a health nightmare in, in New Orleans. Yeah, and
1: so. I think Jordan Hawkins has potential to crack the rotation on this team. I don't know. It's hard because they have like so many young players and especially kind of in the back court and the surrounding wings. You know, I, I suppose really where they lack is maybe like the big men positions, although yeah. I am I am a Larry Nance fan. I mean, I like I like their their position where they're at with him and Valanchunas for the most part. I mean, this team was like surprisingly very good on defense last year. And I think I think part of the reason why Herb Jones got that contract is he was a big part of it. Like New Orleans was like the best three point defense in the league last year. And yes, variants are. Always has something to do with that, right? I mean, teams are just not going to shoot well against certain teams on small sample sizes on occasion. But, like, also, they do have some of the best personnel in the NBA for guarding the three point line, in addition to that.
0: Just so much length and so much twitchy mobility that they were able to, even at times when they would have multiple defensive liabilities on the floor at the same time, they'd have ways of, like, kind of just swarming with length and and not letting. Like I, I thought New Orleans, like when we talked about them in a season preview last year, it's like, well, how, how's New Orleans going to hide Zion and Valanciunas and CJ?
1: And
0: yeah. like, well, it and turns they, out and they, you don't
1: really need to protect the rim if you can keep people from getting there.
0: <laughs> yeah. Or just making it like it was so hard to really like with so much kind of disruption around them with the, with the length of, of whether it's like, you know, between Herb and Ingram and, and Najee Marshall and Trey Murphy. Larry Nance and then Jose Alvarado at the point of attack, like having yeah. having two or three of those defenders on the floor just made it like there's just so many arms like in the paint and then getting out of the three point line. They're just they're just it was just very chaotic to attack. Like well, we really want to attack Zion, but I can't get to him because there's all these like, arms swarming in the way. Like I can't get through the forest to get to the sort of prize there. And and Valanciunas, I, I think, it's kind of he's he can be a vulnerable defender in a bad situation but he's very dutiful he varies like he's mm-hmm. definitely going to be in the spot and and he makes good decisions he just he just doesn't you know he can't really move and recover at a at a high level they're also bringing in another good college defender from 2 years ago who missed his rookie season or was injured you know will, will now start yeah, rookie Ad- season. that's the Ad- Liddell. Liddell. yeah and he was a like monster defender in college tons of versatility mm-hmm. And there's another guy who could play some small ball center for them, and has some. You know, a lot of the things that people were really excited about Jairus Walker this year were things that people were kind of saying about EJ Liddell the year before, and then he got well, really huge in the draft. Not saying they're the same player, bit, but
1: yeah. there's there's a massive, you know, just kind of athletic profile difference between those two players.
0: Yeah, but but the strength and the and the mobility to guard different positions. I think yeah. EJ Liddell has a little bit of... Anyways, I just like... He he might not even play at all, but it's, I think it's at least notable that he's coming back. I also think it's notable that their two-way player has one of the coolest names in the NBA. They I don't, don't really know how one. to... Yeah, that's just a cool <laughs> name. It just sounds like yeah. he's some sort of like airship captain or something like that. and An, an yeah. airship captain of renown. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think... I think-
1: I think the best thing about New Orleans and, you know, again, with all the injuries they had last year, I mean, it, it's just hard to have a consistent rotation, but they do have a lot of depth. I mean, they go deep deep with just like solid players. So this isn't, I mean, and that's also that unlocks a lot of options as well. So this isn't mm-hmm. going to be a team that you can confound like in a certain matchup. This isn't a team that you can like figure out necessarily. Yeah. At least, you know, their offense may be, I I think the main reason why their offense kind of struggled last year is they they kind of have a lack of really high level playmaking. I mean CJ McCollum does his best. Dyson Daniels is a good passer but he's like a little bit slow on the take and he's a bit mechanical and then they have a lot of guys who aren't necessarily like playmaking as their first priority.
0: Yeah and I've got a this this leads quite nicely into the one point I want to talk about them is I think Brandon Ingram has another level to unlock. And that is like being able to, he's shown big flashes of playmaking and shown big flashes, Mm -hmm. uh, flashes of scoring, but he, he, he doesn't seem to put it together. It's like, he's either lanky DeMar DeRozan or he's like, or he's, you know, like Ben Simmons or something like that. Like over his career, he, he hasn't really leveraged those two. Like he hasn't synergized those two skills, but you see the, you see the passing vision you see the length that he's able to use in a lot of situations to sort of like throw harder passes and see over the defender. Yeah. But sometimes he's in score mode and sometimes he's in playmaking mode. And I think if he can put those things together, he's just, there's a whole other level that Brandon Ingram can unlock and, you know, maybe make up for some age related decline to CJ McCollum. He had a really, he struggled so hard last year. Like Mm -hmm. I was excited for like full-time point guard CJ for a whole season out of Portland. Well, he had a, he had a
1: horrendous shooting start to the season and he recovered yeah. a little bit at the end of the year but like he just couldn't make a shot for like the first month of the year.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's like you you draft certain players in fantasy, and they're and they're they're holding you back all year, and it's hard to let that go. And CJ McCollum was that for me last year. Just checking yeah. his shooting stats every game it was like, um, oh, not what, yeah, <laughs> two for seventeen, like what? <laughs> Any but yeah. So I he could he should bounce back. He's not that old yet. He's because this is age thirty two season, I think. So and he's never been a player super reliant on, on athleticism. He is a smaller guard. There's ways in which he could drop off, but I wouldn't be by a
1: bounce back for CJ, and I'm rooting for it. Yeah, I just think so much of their season this year hinges on Zion. I mean, it's unfortunate that they have to be reliant on him because there is a lot of talent on this team outside of Zion. But, like, to be honest, they don't. I'm not sure if they have a piece on the team that is like dominant in any sense outside of Zion Williamson.
0: Yeah, it's everything solid around Zion. Zion is yeah. 100% the point of the, the, like, the tip of the spear. He's, the, he's what's collapsing defenses. He just he shreds defenses like he just like he really is like a a torpedo and like you know i'm I'm picturing those like those bullets in in super mario they just like come across (laughs) the screen and like he just he just there's there's absolutely no stopping him and when and when you have this like demolition ball just crashing defenses and all these guys that are capable of making plays off that is a beautiful thing to watch when they don't have that it's more a collection of solid players who can do a lot of things but even in that like I think if 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 Ingram can stay healthy and Trey Murphy can carve out a bigger role and keep making progress on that like there's like there's there's Mm -hmm. ways for them I would even if Zion doesn't play 80 games next season it would be I would love just you know not a season-ending injury just sort of
1: yeah, no, I mean, I I hope Zion is healthier this year. I hope the Pelicans are do well, you know, and and make the yeah. playoffs this season. Like I'm, I'm always rooting for that. But yeah, I I was a little bit lower on the Pelicans for you just because than you were, just because I don't necessarily want to bet on Zion having excellent health when that isn't really something that we've seen up to this point in his career.
0: Yeah. I wanted a couple of optimistic hot takes this season. The Pelicans are one of them for me. This The other team is one we're going to get to in the next episode. But any yeah. final New Orleans thoughts before we move on to the next team?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, even even if Zion gets hurt, and I'm, I I kind of baked that into my projection of this team a little bit, I mean, I still have them finishing over 500. So, I mean, the talent is there. Like, the the floor should be pretty high. It's just a matter of where the ceiling goes.
0: Yeah yeah I have Zion playing 55 games. like my like hope for Zion is like 55 games and healthy in the playoffs. That's like that would be yeah. a, a, a really good outcome in my mind. So next up, we have a team that is so so good that other teams try to steal information from them. you know the, the you know, teams really want their entire structure. They just want to establish the bedrock that will allow the success that this team has having. and that is of course, the New York Knickerbockers. Yeah, no, we I had, a, had a regular
1: regular Watergate security camera footage saw Masai Ujiri in the in the Knicks headquarters in the middle of the night with his flashlight leafing through <laughs> booklets <laughs> trying to find draft information. But
0: but it's also I mean it's also funny cuz it's like it's not really like Masai's not being blamed for it even though there is that history between right. Masai and New York, but like it's it's like the the coach or the coaching staff that has been blamed, like this newly hired the newly hired coach Darko is 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 being blamed for potentially. So it's a, it's kind of like an embarrassing look for him, but again, we don't actually know anything. Like we're joking yeah. right now. There's been <laughs> there's been some accusations made. There's re, there's been a, a lawsuit like the, the Knicks are suing a former employee for stealing proprietary information and and what people have said about it is that's trickled up to like the the coach trying to like establish some The game planning systems and stuff like that, which just just sounds too silly. So I don't like I'm waiting to see what information. But, you know, the lawsuit is legit. It's happening. You know, it's been reported on by Baxter Holmes. So it's a thing. We just don't really know any more than that right now. So for now, it's all fun and games. We'll we'll see if, if we have a spy gate here or if this is just sort of like. One of those things where they, companies make all their employees sign NDAs for everything and they're not very enforceable. But if information does get sort of like taken or used, they try to enforce it. And then we'll, you know, again, we'll see what happens. So not a whole lot to report on the New York Knicks off season besides, no. you know, some extensions and they've signed a trillion players to, you know, exhibit 10 and, and, and two-way Contracts. Josh Hart signed a four-year, eighty-one million dollar contract extension, yep. including a, a team option in in twenty twenty-eight. But yeah, and Dante probably, Divincenzo
1: is like their main addition from last year.
0: Yeah, yeah, Stole Dante Divincenzo is in, and Obi Toppin is, is out. They sent him off to the Pacers. So and that's a bit yep. of a fan favorite in 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 New York. But so, they signed his brother.
1: <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was noticing Utah. like,
0: yeah, and they got, they also signed Obadiah Noel. So they're just really shoring up on players with the same last names of players who were recently in the New York Knicks, Knicks front court. I have no idea whether Obadiah Noel has any relation to Nerlens Noel, but uh, I'm going to pretend right now for fun that, that he that he is, that they're brothers.
1: I mean, the Knicks have a long history of this. I remember when they, they signed J.R. Smith's brother once a few years ago. Oh, yeah. Was, yep, it's yep. like a minor outrage because J.R. Smith's brother was... You know, taking the roster spot of a more deserving player, but he wasn't, he wasn't with the team very long anyway.
0: <laughs> you got to keep J.R. Smith happy. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, without this team, it was huge. This team won a playoff series last year, you know, mm-hmm. beat, beat a team that, that we expected to have a matchup advantage against them. It just yeah. kind of legitimizes their current roster and their coach. You know, we, we we can debate over how surprisingly easy it was to beat Cleveland because of roster flaws, but I'd rather just kind of give the credit to New York right now and just say like they played a great series. They 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 gutted yeah. it out against against Miami too. That was not like an easy series for Miami. It went went six games, and there was lots of good moments for New York. So I mean, this we we really are living in in the most golden era of of New York basketball since the nineties it's a really good solid team. It's so weird for the Knicks to just have a good solid normal team. I guess my only question though is like what's the next step and where is the growth going to come from for them?
1: Yeah, I mean they do have some young players. This isn't, you know, a team that's completely absent of young talent. I think just seeing RJ Barrett make an improvement in some aspect of his game would be so huge, you know, like whether that's improving the at rim finishing or improving the shooting, like we talked about this last year, but either either one would be massive for his game he has looked pretty good attacking the basket in World Cup, although this is a very different basketball format, you know, so I don't know how much we can really draw away from that. Emmanuel quickly also really fell off late in the season. There's, there, there was some injuries things. There were injury things okay. happening there. Yeah, I wasn't sure what was going on because he went from, like, you know, being a six-man-of-the-year runner-up to, <laughs> like, barely playing in the playoffs and looking really rough when he was out there. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Hopefully can bounce back from that because I look actually, I look more at Emmanuel quickly and, and Quentin Grimes as the, as the best source of your, their youth growth. Like I, I, it's hard. It's hard to picture RJ Barrett improving only because we've never seen it. Yeah. We've never seen RJ. RJ Barrett was like the best 16 year old in the world. And if you could say if if someone could give me one thing that it's improved in his game since then i would that would be new news to me i, I think don't his love fashion,
1: fashion <laughs> his fashion game has probably improved
0: <laughs> he's not a he's not a bad player there's lots of like he's got interesting yeah, tools. he's so strong he's you know he's a he's a big strong versatile guard who just doesn't quite do anything well enough from uh from a playmaking or a scoring perspective
1: yeah and in the like, in the in the fourth quarters, again, especially in the Heat series, you, you started to see RJ Barrett was on the bench and, you know, Quentin Grimes and Josh Hart were out there.
0: I mean, just like, what are you going to do? Get back to your left hand? What are you going to do when we, when we like It's It is amazing how well he gets back to his left hand, like the entire defense yeah. is ready for him to go left. And he does and it. <laughs> he, he, go, he goes left and then he counters back right and they don't buy it. Yeah. they 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 keep guarding his left and then he still finds a way to get to his left and gets off some kind of shot so there's there's a there's a, a stubborn heroicness to to that but like yeah it's just sort of like it still hasn't popped it's it's it's, it's it is starting to get concerning that just like R.G. Baird's going into his fifth year and we just don't see any kind of up, upticks in, in anything. And I don't like it's I thought he was gonna be the as a as a Canadian, I thought he was gonna be the the antidote to the Wiggins experience. And instead it's just been like Wiggins 2.0 it just, in terms of just well like, it turns out Wiggins
1: was the antidote to the Wiggins experience. Yeah. Warriors yeah. Wiggins.
0: Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, the Canadian basketball royalty is, is 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 disappointing. But but I still like RJ Barrett. I still actually like you know watching him play. It's like he's he's tough. He's strong. He's he's wing sized. I don't I don't want to hate too far on that. I I do think that like I don't know they they've got Josh Hart and Quentin Grimes, and I sort of wonder like is RJ Barrett the the third best kind of like you know wing a, out of those three? But he's gonna. You know, still be treated like the. I think so in terms of just like
1: in terms of fit, in terms of yeah. offensive cohesion. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Much more concerning is that RJ Barrett. Sorry, is that Julius Randall turned into a pumpkin once again when the playoffs came around? There was some injury concerns there That's as well. What so
1: <laughs> it's the playoffs. Yeah. It's Julius Randall. These things um, occur
0: yeah I mean, there's another guy that's allowed to it's just weird they got two guys soaking up so many possessions for less than ideal offense, and they're still able to win a round of playoff basketball sort of thing. And well, their defense um, is really good,
1: you know, if we're going the route where we're just we're heaping praise on the Knicks for how bad Cleveland looked, you know, their defense was very solid. They yep. killed Cleveland on the offensive glass, which is crazy against a team that plays two seven footers, but they did. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, shout
0: out Mitchell Robinson. And then Mitchell Robinson, likes you know, he he like struggles in the next series, and Knicks fans were just immediately turned right around and were complaining about Mitchell Robinson. I was like, he won you the first series, like yeah, like give Mitchell Robinson a break. He was that was he just he just absolutely demolished two you know other seven footers like defensive player of the year candidates. And Miami I, it was a
1: bad matchup for him.
0: Yeah, but we are you know I I do think that it is time to acknowledge Mitchell Robinson is. If Stephen Adams didn't exist, I would comfortably say Mitchell Robinson is the best offensive rebounder in the NBA. Mm-hmm. He is a he's a total problem on the offensive glass and if and if Stephen Adams declines or is injured for another season, I'm willing to, you know, give him the crown for that. So, I like yeah, I, th- I like Mitchell I, Robinson.
1: I think that contract is totally reasonable. Yeah, it's a declining contract. He's only yeah. making 12 million a couple of years from now. Some people were you know, kind of retching in their mouths when he initially signed that deal. But, you know, I think I it's, never got that. It's totally fine.
0: And yeah, I mean, the only thing the only thing I felt bad about that contract is that Mitchell Robinson had to say stuck in the in the Tom Thibodeau offense, which means that he is not allowed to shoot or touch the ball on anything except for offensive putbacks. The guy averages like four field goal attempts per game. Yeah. Like that just like that's that's a very, very low number for a starter. And I know that there's like some obvious like limitations there and his his free throw shooting last year was well how much of that
1: let me let me ask you this. How much of that is Tom Thibodeau and how much of that is Jalen Brunson? I mean, like I know everyone wants to get on the Jalen Brunson Express because he, you know, overperformed his his contract last year, but you know, like at the same time, like when Jalen Brunson I mean, he can drive into the paint and collapse the defense a little bit, but like he's looking for his own shot when he does that. Yeah, like, he's a pure scorer, he's, but he's he never even glances towards Mitchell Robinson.
0: But I can't, I can't, I'm not going to put the the blame on on Jalen Brunson for that, just because you know Robinson has been playing for Thibodeau for a few years now, and and that has remained. Where there's only been one year of Brunson, there's been three years of Tibbs. <laughs> or yeah. two years of Tibbs. And that is, he was getting up to almost six field goal attempts. And then Tibbs came and it went back down and it went down. It went down again a little bit. So I don't think it mattered, but yeah, it's a scoring point guard. And I think like th- that's kind of one of the reasons I think like, where's the next step and where's the growth going to come from. is like, it's cool that Jalen Brunson is a resilient playoff scorer. That's one of mm-hmm. the hardest things to be in the NBA is like, be able to get buckets against NBA playoff defenses so it's amazing that he can do that but to me that's still the kind of offense that bails you out of tough situations not the offense that like, you butter. know ki- kills the other opponents and and he, you know he was still he was still up and down in the playoffs he was, like they, they did manage to turn Jalen Brunson off a couple times there are limitations and he doesn't have the counters he needs to just be like you know unstoppable all the time but yeah averaging like 28 points per game in the playoffs on on solid efficiency and being able to get to the free throw line a little bit at his you know, size and relative lack of athleticism. It was just like mm-hmm. a very heroic showing from Jalen Brunson. He deserves all the credit in the world, but if that's your best offense and Julius Randle is not going to be contributing, I just, I, you're not going to beat really good opponents like that. So it's like, and when I look at Quentin Grimes and Emmanuel quickly, I can see here's how the Knicks improve on the margins, like quickly becomes a defensive monster that's that's sniping threes. And Quentin Grimes is this do-it-all guy, but then we're still kind of that still doesn't give them like the point of attack that they that they need to take another leap on offense. And this offense was like was was really, really good in the regular season, but I but Tibbs is one of those coaches that knows how to game the little things and and get that offensive efficiency up really high um so I don't I, I don't know I, I just don't know how I also think that New York they were in this bracket last year with like Toronto Miami Atlanta and Chicago and I, and I just feel like they had the best health and, and and best shooting luck and so they kind of emerged from the pack yeah. um, but if you played out the season simulation a hundred times like you know New York could have been could have been Toronto or Atlanta or Chicago I still believe um, in
1: the Knicks this season more than I do I mean more than all three of those teams that you mentioned yeah. for sure and they're the most the, cuz they're just so solid
0: like there's yeah. just there's like they the, all their lineups like you got the right mix of ingredients to play really good basketball and and just not have these massive holes where those other teams all kind of have massive holes in places which is why I also trust the Knicks more but i'm just like how do you go from that when your best players are Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson and like take another step or try to you know try to make an Eastern Conference Finals. I, I just think that's like I, I don't see they have any chance of beating a team like yeah. Boston. I mean they're other. They're
1: they're a third big money guy, you know, after Brunson and and uh, well, it, it after Brunson and Barrett, it just needs to be improvement over Julius Randall. I think like Julius Randall just isn't a consistent fourth quarter offensive option slash playoff offensive option. You know, he doesn't really space the floor that consistently. He kind of drives into the paint and gets himself into trouble and forces up bad shots a lot. You know, he's he's often reluctant to move the ball, and he's not much of a defensive presence. Like, you know, he's okay. Like, he puts up, like, numbers in the regular season. He's like a minutes eater, but he's not yeah. a guy that you can really rely on to be a secondary option.
0: He's really strong and he's really versatile, but he doesn't do, there's nothing that he does at a crazy high enough level that is pushing you over the top. And and New York went from having like, you know, RJ Barrett and Julius Randle being these two guys that could like, you know, really fight and scrape to get you 20 plus points, you know, on like on on sub 45% shooting. And they've upgraded that to Jalen Brunson who can fight and scrap his way to doing that at 47% shooting. That's again, that's still just not like a, an offense that is going to, do damage against really good playoff defense. So th- that's like, you know, like I've got, I, I really respect what New York has done. I just wonder if the, if the, the progress is going to come in the form of a trade. And when it comes to Nixon making trades and trying to upgrade their talent, yeah. it's a little bit,
1: well, they have, I mean, they They have the con they have the contracts to make pretty much any deal happen. And they have, you know, there's entire draft pick stash still available. Yeah. So they're in a great position just in general, yeah. like, but just it's not, just, they're just not, it's just going to take the yeah, obvious next step. It's just going to take the right trade to really push them up over the top. And whether that oh, will happen yeah. this year or next year or never, <laughs> I yeah. don't know. don't want to be overly negative, but like, yeah, we just don't know what that is yet.
0: Yeah. Love the, love the backcourt and wing depth on this team, especially. And I love that they've got like two really good, basically starter level NBA centers. And there's so much to like about this team. And they're also really fun to to watch last year in the regular season and the playoffs. So. Hopefully they have they continue with that stability and, and, and
1: do it again and make some improvements on the on the margins. So Okay, enough I next mean, love. We, we can't have this much Lakers hate in this <laughs> love in the podcast. We're going <laughs> to get docked for that or something.
0: I can say, I mean, like a lot of those things I can say about the Lakers in terms of like I, I, in past episodes, I've talked about how much I like the construction of the Lakers, but I feel like these teams are actually really similar. They're really like deep, well-built teams that probably don't, have the high end talent actually to like J, obviously lebron and anthony davis are more exciting than jalen brunson and um, julius, julius randall, randall <laughs> but just when yeah. the injuries kind of kick in and lebron's age kicks in it's just like it's only a it's really got a hit for them to have that high level talent so they kind of melt into being more yeah. of a sub Knicks level even with a higher
1: ceiling yeah, yeah. Any any other Knicks thoughts? Are we gonna get well, the last it's, team? It's time to talk about another really exciting team, you know, no. arguably. Even more so than the Knicks. You know, I know I know Even Elon just loves it when we talk about the Clippers on this podcast. You just
0: called me Elon. You just yeah. called me yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm the, Ian Musk. <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm having one of those like days where I'm just not pronouncing words correctly. Or, or, or maybe you
0: called me Elam, like the Elam ending in, in basketball. I think I'd rather yeah. be cared, be compared to the Elam ending in basketball <laughs> than the owner of X. Okay, it is time to talk about the, 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 the spookiest, saddest, scariest, darkest hole of the NBA. Am I taking it too far, Clippers fans? We're here to talk about the Los Angeles Clippers. Or whatever you know, whatever's left of them, they, you know they've got they've got two players who have arguably been top ten players, and like, you know like you know yeah. much like we discussed with the Lakers, they've got a a whole bunch of other
1: stuff going on. I I don't um, know how you're how you can be a Clippers fan without you know waking up every morning and just reminiscing about what could have been.
0: Yeah, an alternate I mean,
1: alternate I mean, timeline where things just went so much better for you.
0: And yet at the same time, the Clippers are Clippers fans are totally. Still, kind of allowed to be like things are randomly going to work out for this year, and we're going to win the title. Like it's still possible. It's like the, that's what. Oh the yeah, there's a couple NBA like, writers will
1: still probably pick them to win the title this year because I
0: I yeah. think none will, and that's why like you know
1: karmically okay. this I is think finally the year where
0: this is the year that everyone is is gives up on the Clippers and they just have weird stability and things go fine and they just get to the playoffs and and do the thing that they've been supposed to do since since 2020. The the only time that they made no they didn't they made it the second round that year right that's they didn't make the conference it was late. was yeah they made the conference finals him. of
1: the following year yeah when they upset um, the
0: jazz yeah so but yeah I mean like kind of where to start there's so many funny little components to talk about this like I'm just gonna say right now there's no need to talk about the health we can talk about mm-hmm. the health when it changes when yep. when 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 Paul and Kawhi aren't aren't hurt. Um, mm-hmm. We'll talk about that then, because that's just the default for now. So, we, yeah, some we, people we, have been
1: saying Kawhi is going to be ready for the start of the year, but I, I personally find that hard to believe. <laughs> so we'll, we'll we're also see. I mean, we're
0: too traumatized to ever believe it. Like the Kawhi, Kawhi will just like you know not speak to us and disappear for three months, and that's that's yeah. like
1: the Clippers I, probably have no idea if he's going to be ready by the yeah. start of the year either. Yeah, so. yeah, they
0: don't know where he is.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: We could go into the there's kind of two two chunks of the Clippers I want to talk about. I kind of want to talk about the backcourt and 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 Russ and the other pieces they have around there, but but also the, the the weirdness of of their front court and just sort of like us getting past some of the name recognition and wondering what their rotation is actually going to look like because like you know last year we went in and we're like oh this team is John Wall Paul George Kawhi Leonard Marcus Morris Robert Covington Nick Batum which obviously. But then it's kind of like a lot of those guys sort of didn't play or faded away. Robert Covington was this mm-hmm. strange
1: mystery the whole year. Just yeah. Sort of Cause like he was, the- he was like good when he played, but like he never got minutes and he um,
0: didn't complain about it either. That's like no. usually a player like that's like demanding a trade and Robert Covington just like, I'll, I'll get my shot. And then just like the whole team got injured and then Ty
1: is still just like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but also like he signed like a, a two year deal for like, you know, 12 million a year. Like that's the kind of contract that you'd, you give a rotation guy you're not giving a guy who's not expected to see the floor and just weird like he
0: doesn't have that many like years left of of necessarily you know being anywhere near his sort of like peak physical ability so it, it just yeah. sucked to like have bob covington we just lost a full year of, of bob covington and i, I want to know why and it still hasn't really been well,
1: last year was i think the first year where people started to really question Lu's rotations and like even if you're a Lu believer, you still have to admit, it got pretty strange. I mean, I'm sure part of that was kind of managing Kawhi's ideals for how much and when he plays and with whom and all of that. But like at the same, like the, the rotation was just in such flux, you know, in the second half of the season, like they're playing Marcus Morris, 36 minutes a night, one game, and then he's like benched the next and it's just, it was just so inconsistent. There was that
0: weird moment where they, where Tyloo kind of like publicly gave up on Mar- Marcus Morris after like a whole season of people, uh, out of a whole season of, of Tyloo kind of acting like he was playing him out of spite towards his haters. Just sort of like, yeah. you guys, like, oh, you don't, you think I should bench Marcus Morris? Like, how about I make him the center of our offense? Like, yeah. I'll show <laughs> you. You said something mean about me. I'm going to give you more of what you deserve. And and Robert, you want to play Robert Covington? How about I don't even play him when Kawhi and Paul George are hurt in the playoffs? And instead I put out four guard lineups like yeah. against a team that has Kevin Durant. <laughs> like, how about I get yeah. Zuboch and Eric Gordon to guard Kevin Durant? Like, anyways, things got really wacky. I think I do think Ty, you know you can defend Ty Lu saying like that he had no stability to build a real rotation. About it. and that's just that that's true. Like Kawhi and Paul George uh, and and you know John Wall last year, like there there was no stability to build on. But then, given the context that he had, he just made such strange decisions that it was like aggravating for Clippers fans and non-Clippers fans alike. So I kind of I'm trying to look past all these like older established names that are still on the roster and be like, mm-hmm. okay, this team it's Kenyon Martin, it's Kenyon Martin Jr. and Terrence Mann. And Amir coffee. like those are like, like I, for whatever reason, I feel like those guys are just going to, they're going to be around and they're healthy and they're going to be playing minutes because I have no idea what Ty Lue is going to do with the rest of the team. So I feel like I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's sort of where the major, co- like if major contributions came from somewhere in the kind of younger back end of the rotation.
1: I think, yeah, I think Norm Powell will be a mainstay. Yeah. If we're just, we're just talking about guys beyond the two stars that are probably going to be a regular part of the rotation, whether or not they're healthy. I mean, obviously, will be in there. Plumlee will play some, you know, probably play more in the regular season than in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I was really skeptical when they both signed Russ as well as Plumlee because I'm like, oh, they have two true centers that are like non-shooting threats. And then they want to sign Russell Westbrook. Like, this is interesting. But what ended up happening for the most part is they just didn't really play Plumlee a whole lot. And they didn't. They only gave up like a second round pick for him, so that that didn't end up being a huge deal. I mean, we didn't really talk about what they did in the off season. They did draft Kobe Brown out of Missouri. Kobe Brown's yeah. really fun. I mean, I don't know if you've seen him play, but he's just like I don't. I don't even know what the right comp for him is. He's like this very roly-poly dude uh, who isn't particularly, you know, fast or explosive or anything, but like, he's a really good shooter. He's a really good passer. He's a really good cutter. He's just like this super toolsy offensive player. And then on the other side, I I have questions, whether he's going to, you know, get down the court to play defense in time, you know, to like set up to kind of receive the other team. But I mean, it should be fun. KJ Martin's really fun. He's just like high flying athletic you know menace he's really undersized as kind of like a big but like you can you can play him in just kind of like a super small ball lineup and just like he can just be a vertical spacing threat totally his shot's been really inconsistent which I think is the main reason why Houston was like so willing to just salary dump him but like he's definitely very talented and he's still a really young player but he wasn't happy with his role in Houston so they wanted to move off of that. I mean, other than that, for like mainstays, like I'm sure Marcus Morris will continue playing this year. I'm sure, but, like,
0: but will he? Like, he was basically cut at the end of it. Like, you know, he was he was not yeah. in rotation to end the season, and it was like, and the, which is weird because Ty Lue was like his biggest fan. Like, they were like mm. they were bros. Like, you know, the,
1: a buddy cop comedy was about to come out. But Ty Lue and just has this weird thing where, like, if a if a young player is really showing signs of being highly promising and effective, Ty Lue just doesn't want to play them more than like 20 minutes a game.
0: Yeah. And that's but then but then he gets forced to and still finds a way not to do it. To not do whatever. it. Yeah. It's really hard to know what the Clippers are. Like there it feels like there's been this like slow roster turnover. Like it feels like the Clippers never changed, but like a couple of years ago when the Clippers were a little bit more of a healthy team, they were kind of this like this this sort of three and D team. It's everyone was a really good pull up jump shooter, and almost everyone was a really high level defender, or was able to at least like you know gar- switch a lot and, and and stuff like that. And now there's all kinds of non shooters on the team. Like you already mentioned, the kind of like Russ Zubac Plumlee thing. You mentioned you know K- Kenyon Martin. There's kind of like there's a wider variety of of players on this team, and I, I really have no idea what the rotation looked like. I picked them, I think to make the I, I I was high on them last year I don't know I, I had them like a, maybe finishing two or three or even like winning at the regular season losing to Denver in the Western Conference finals but that was based on this idea that like you know Batum and Covington was and playing big roles and they kind of didn't now Batum has announced this is his last season yeah uh, he, he's you know still a really good player that does a lot for them defensively but it's just this is a murky team to look at. I kind of like Russ coming back. He does give them that again, that like point of attack on offense to kind of just sort of like, you know, get into the paint and sort of start to scramble things. And that, but yeah. I don't, I'm not going to just start simply trusting Russ. Cause he had a nice stretch well, I mean, for a minute. Like he was the one, he was the worst player in the NBA for like the last two years. Like I'm not, well, I know, like, but
1: a huge part of Russell Westbrook's value was like his defensive intensity and consistency when he's on the, on the Clippers. I don't, I don't necessarily know if he's going to do that for an entire season. Like it's a lot yeah. easier for him to do that for a short stretch and then for like a playoff run. But I mean, even when he was on the Clippers, like it was an improvement over his Lakers tenure, but even on the Clippers, you know, the shot selection was still bad. The efficiency was still dreadful. You know, he he didn't become like a good scorer on the Clippers. And so. he, yeah, he's still, he's still a walking blooper reel.
0: Like he's still just out there like, throwing the ball away and falling down and like dribbling into traffic and just sort of like jumping and forgetting to bring the ball with him when he jumps. Like people are like, Oh, well, you know, like, yeah, it's tough in the half court, but Russell Westbrook can boost your transition game. I'm like, he's the least efficient transition ball handler in the well, NBA. He can't, like, he it's can't like, finish.
1: <laughs> when he, he
0: can't finish and he can't, and yeah. like he, and he turns the ball over all the time. Like I just, I don't, I don't get it. Like we got a, we got a cool, fun Russ moment, but for people to be like, yeah, that's, that's the new normal, Normal for Russ, I think, is is a bit much.
1: Yeah, I mean, in the five game series against the Suns, Russ had one good game. He had a couple of games that were really rough, and then he had like you know, game one, he had that moment against Devin Booker. But I don't, I don't necessarily know that he had a great forty eight minutes overall. It was, it was more just like a couple of highlights, you know, like. A I think if you're
0: a... gonna give Russell Westbrook the ball like that and let him go to work, he's gonna have some. He's going to generate some highlights. He's going to do some cool heroic things. He's going to put up some numbers, but like this is, it's not like we're going to win basketball games doing this. And, and if the Clippers are going to be good, it's going to involve, you know, those, those unhealthy boys being healthier boys. And I don't know what that has to do with, with Westbrook. And I don't buy the idea of him as a minutes eater either. That's going to keep them stable or whatever. I don't know. You know, this is, we're haters on this episode. I'm just going to like, like, I don't know if this is just a team, the, the, like the this this bracket or if, or if simon and i are in a mood today but like we had a nice little break there with the pelicans but we had a well, lot of these
1: these aren't our favorite teams i mean yeah. full disclosure here i don't think either of us <laughs> is a huge fan of either of the la teams so
0: even when we were saying nice things it felt like i felt like oh i gotta say some nice things to like le- like le- legitimize our our opinion so we can so we can give our real true hater opinions yeah of these guys. I've always liked the idea of the Clippers. It's just the reality has been too frustrating for too long for me not to like that, not to come out a little bit as, as we talk about them. I think like this team has just been very frustrating and I think Clippers fans know that better than we do. So, you know, at least Mm -hmm. let's say that we're empathizing with you as far as that goes. And I would love the situation where some of these young guys popped a little bit, they got better health. And this team was, was surprisingly unfrustrating this
1: year. That'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, I like the Jordan Miller pickup. You know, they signed Jordan Miller to a two-way. He was like a really important piece of Miami, which was one of the best college basketball teams in the mm-hmm. country. Made a surprise Final Four run last year. He's Just like highly versatile, stabilizing presence. He's an older rookie, so he might be, you know bit more experienced ready to play right away I think he's a five-year college player yeah I don't know I've always liked him so they also have Brandon Boston and Jason Preston you know Preston got hurt last year so he didn't really play Brandon Boston's just kind of been you know the young guy relegated to the bench hasn't had much of an opportunity yet but like both those guys are talented so
0: very talented yeah and like I said, at, you know, at one point during this Clippers segment, like I wouldn't be surprised if it was the young guys that actually surprisingly boosted the Clippers this year. These guys I are not so. sure that wouldn't
1: play. But... That would make the Clippers infinitely more fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for that fun because if it's got to be about Marcus Morris and Russell Westbrook, like I'm not tuning in. Like I'm, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna be forced to watch them a couple times, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna be. You don't, this you're not a fan story. of the
1: Nick Batum small ball five lineups.
0: I am a fan of that. They didn't give it to me enough. Yeah. They signed they signed Mason Plumley.
1: Yeah.
0: Um I was like, I I wanted I absolutely wanted Robert Covington, Nick Batum, defensive front course. Both those guys can like protect the rim, guard bigger bodies, like, you know, helping man. There I, I was I it was a it was a wet dream for me, who's a huge fan of those kinds of defenders. And but they I, withheld it all year. They did not just have makes, it.
1: It makes too much sense to play, so the, the Clippers yeah. not gonna do it.
0: Tyloo could just feel how horny i was for it and he was like just needed to withhold it from me yeah exactly thanks Ty Yeah. now i'm just frustrated <laughs> any more clippers thoughts i still had them making the playoffs i mean i don't know why like we had them as we both had them like as the highest team in this group i'm just checking our yeah. list. now you you had the clippers at 14 i had them down at 16 vegas had them at 10. So yep. we're both we're both lower on them overall, but but yeah, still kind of have the best yeah playoff.
1: Eight, eighth in the West for me. So still expecting them, you know, in that play-in tournament, likely to make the playoffs. I mean, as always, so much of it is just up to Kawhi and Paul George's health. If both of them are healthy and awesome, this team is a contender. I I wouldn't say they're as solid as dynamic of a contender as they have been in the past few years. I, I think the league around them has gotten better, and I think their depth has declined a little bit just kind of with age yeah you know some of these players like batum you know like a covington like a marcus morris who were really high level role players a couple of years ago are now just okay but you know they still have an outside shot at contention if everything if this is the year and everything breaks right
0: insane too that Kawhi can just like come when he actually does play when he can't like when he rolled into the playoffs this year those first two games He's just like I might be the best player in the NBA or like I'm the best player on the floor in a playoff series. That's like you got you're going to have to do some like Nikola Jokic level stuff to be a better player than Kawhi than a healthy Kawhi on the floor. And then he mm-hmm. just like quietly like to know just like like I didn't even there was no like injury on the floor. Obviously well, he, we played, get he played out the game.
1: He he like, uh, yeah, like- <laughs> he tore his knee and he finished the game in which he did it. Yeah, um, and then we didn't learn how serious the injury was for like another week. After that, we just heard like knee soreness, or I, I don't know what the report was. But initially, the reporting wasn't like he tore his knee up. Yeah, it's
0: always the it's always the quiet. I mean, you know, since since that like the Zatsa thing those years ago that started all of this was was big and dramatic. But ever since then, it's always like very quietly. Like Kawhi Leonard has, yeah, you know, cut his head off, but he will he will be <laughs> yeah. he will play in the next playoffs for like. But it's just you. would think there'd be more decline in his game when he was healthy, and when he came back at the beginning of last season, I was like, okay, Kawhi is—he's slow. He does not. Yeah, look- it took him a while
1: to ramp up, but
0: yeah, but but he was but still he able to ramp up, and it just sort of like yeah, still like I'm I'm still like a top five player in this league when you know, whenever, whenever you get the privilege of, of, of watching healthy me play, it is, it's, it's still terrifying. He's still the yeah. Terminator. He put like, like the, he, I, like I feel that the Clippers would have beat the Suns with a healthy Kawhi. That's just yeah, how he good Kawhi the
1: looked. I guess they were yeah. one and one when he got hurt.
0: Yeah. But they just, they just looked like they had no answer for him with that defense. Like I just, it, I just felt like he was going to do whatever he wanted. Not that like the clip, the Clippers defense was, you know, putting up a, Crazy the Clippers defense overall was, was pretty
1: bad. <laughs> yeah, that's that's grabber. the one thing. 30s. I think I think the floor has dropped out of this team a little bit just cuz their defense is no longer like baseline high level, you know.
0: Yeah, um, they were like a top 5 defensive team and the best shooting team in the NBA and we know they're neither of those things yet. So we just don't know what the Clippers are anymore besides like the owners of the contracts of two of the best players in the NBA who who sometimes w- will play for them. Yeah, uh, yeah, no more Clippers, Clippers thoughts. That's where we're at, and that is where we are going to stop talking about the NBA for today. I'm really like we're gonna we're gonna not be haters in the next chunk. I, I think. I hope so. I, I'm 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 planning. We have got some teams. That I'm extremely. Oh, we got the Timberwolves coming
1: up. I I got them <laughs> that
0: franchise. Timberwolves. I, well, I don't. I don't want to spoil some of the teams to talk about, but there's there's a lot of there's a lot of fun there and less 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 LA related drama less of these LA teams that you know could win the championship next year and could miss the playoffs and both of us expect them to come close to the ladder. so yeah we're going to keep spitting these these season previews out so thanks for sticking with us we got enough of a head start that maybe we will get these out before the season if, uh, if Simon and I can find time in our personalized doubtful but we're going to keep trying our best Yep. everyone just remember the ball is life talk to you next time